Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Cut the Cord podcast, episode 14. I'm Hannah, and I'm joined by some other streaming media nerds, Mal and Ryan. Hello. Together, we take on television for those who have cast off the tyranny of their local cable provider. Each week, we gather here to find a great show to watch from the often overwhelming variety of shows to choose from. We review the prior week's selection, then we pick a new show and do it all over again. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. We'll try and push them to the end. This week's show is Netflix's Girl Boss. Our companion song is The Wild One by Susie Quattro. Let's take a listen. This is the first song she listens to when she's driving her car and she gets stuck the hill. The soundtrack is pretty fantastic. Yeah, it is. A- the show is based on hashtag girl boss by Sophia Amorusa. Are we supposed to say hashtag when it's in a title? Whatever. It's in the title. It's hashtag girl boss. <laughs> We're too old to know. <laughs> I'm also making a hashtag sign with my hands as I say hashtag. <laughs> it's great radio. Executive producers are Kay Cannon, who produced 30 Rock, New Girl, and Pitch Perfect, Charlize Theron, and Sophia Amorusa. It's starring Britt Robertson as Sophia, Ellie Reed as Annie, Johnny Simmons as Shane, Alfonso McCauley as Dax, RuPaul as Lionel, and returning from I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, we have Melanie Linsky as Gail, who's a recurring character, and of SNL fame, Norm MacDonald is Sophia's last and best boss. So Girl Boss is about the main character Sophia's journey in creating a internet startup operating off of eBay where she flips clothes, like how people flip houses. She says she flips clothes. So she gets vintage or older clothes that are underpriced, alters them in some way to make them more on trend, and then flips them on eBay for lots and lots of money. It also follows her growth as she starts this business and does adulting, which she's not very good at in the beginning. Absolutely not. (laughs) Has a relationship, romantic relationship, a really close friendship, her relationship with her father. It's pretty, pretty good. You think your relationship with her father is good? No, no, no. I meant the show is good. Oh. The relationship with her father is horrible and it's both of their faults, which is kind of refreshing. But Sophia's a garbage person. She is. In this entire show, there may be three people I actually like. None of them are the protagonists. I had a big problem with the series when it first started, is she's very unlikable. Yes. She doesn't have any really good character traits. She steals. She's really selfish and self-centered. It's not even just self-interested, almost cartoonishly self-interested. At one point, her boyfriend Shane calls her a narcissist, but that's four or five episodes in. And when he did it, it was in the middle of a really nasty fight. But I was like, yes, finally, somebody said it because she's awful. She does have an arc where she grows as a person. I never really end up liking her that much, but she becomes mm-hmm. less of a garbage person, which is one thing she says she's trying to do. Yeah. And I was thinking about it. This is based on her book and she's the executive producer of it. So she could portray herself any way she wanted to. 
Anytime I see an auto biopic, I'm instantly suspicious. The fact that she chose to show honestly that she was a terrible person, I think deserves a little bit of credit there. You know, yeah. and probably shows some growth there. Yeah. And I think it makes for an honest story, which this does feel very honest. This played so much like a formulaic comedy that I just couldn't really experience it as anything but. I had no connection to it as an autobiography. It feels really honest and real, and I appreciate that there was character development of a main character in a TV show. It's more unlikely than you think. Think about Big Bang Theory or How I Met Your Mother is a perfect example of... Ted just doesn't learn anything for god how long was that show on <laughs> it was kind of awful he just kind of made the same mistakes it's like watching Caillou with adults sometimes <laughs> they're obnoxious and they're whiny and they're annoying and it doesn't get any better but Sophia does get a little bit better I don't know how much of an arc she actually had. In a lot of ways, even though she's more financially successful, emotionally and ethically, she really just ends up right where she started the show. I get the feeling that this was maybe a third of her memoir. I think that's real because you don't just suddenly have a light turn on when you figure out you are or you're becoming a garbage person. It takes some time to work all of that out. I did appreciate that there's an actual arc there and they grow. So if you're watching it and you watch the first episode and you're like, I hate this person, keep watching. It does get better. The journey has to start somewhere. She was just so intense, like getting in people's face and being like, ah, I will defeat you. Just really dramatic and over the top. And she's still really dramatic later in the show, but I think they just wanted their money shot moment for the trailer, to be completely honest. But it was right. still really awkward when they happened. So I didn't like that so much because nobody really talks like that unless they're ill. <laughs> <laughs> she is a piece of work for sure yeah i did really like the supporting cast though i especially liked the friendship between annie and sophia i enjoyed that yeah. interaction between them a lot yes they support each other because they have this thing they say to each other when they leave which is love you in case i die and they keep saying that and you're like yeah oh, that's kind of an interesting thing there must be some kind of inside thing about that and then you have an episode where you actually see where that comes from you mm -hmm. know so you get to see the strength of their friendship but annie isn't just a doormat for her either she does at a certain no. point has had enough of her shit and leaves that yeah. relationship until Sophia is ready to come back to it in a more I don't know if even footing is the right you know Sophia had to grow as a person in order to yeah. you know sustain that friendship you know she had to accept some boundaries and gain some respect for Annie which that's great Sophia needs that <laughs> so much but i just loved ellie reed as annie and i looked her up and now i want to see her in everything forever but i think this her biggest role she's been in she was on two broke girls like once and that was her big break i guess but yeah it's fantastic Seeing RuPaul out of drag was great. I'd forgotten just what kind of acting chops he has. The old lady on the park bench, who I swear I know that actress from somewhere, just being almost a Greek chorus. Kind of like Iron Fist. I fixate on the supporting cast and I end up enjoying myself. We'd kind of touched on her relationship with her father, which is yeah. interesting for me watching it because normally when you see the disapproving parent in a show, you're like, you're just an old stick in the mud. But then you're like, no, she is kind of a bad person who's a disappointment. I understand why he's kind of wary of her. Yeah. Of course, he's her father, so he does care about her. He brings her food when she's in the hospital and looks after her and all that. But there's that distance between them. That, like mm -hmm. you said, 
said, they've both done things to create. Yeah, I think for her part, she's very narcissistic as a personality trait and is just so self-centered and has probably run out of her second and third and fourth and fifth chances. I think she has maybe like an oppositional disorder. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's like she seems very contrarian. Yes. Like she does not want to be told what to do, even when what you're telling her to do is the smart, right thing to do. She doesn't want any of it, which is actually a really good trait to have if you're going to start your own business. Yeah, because there were all of these people telling, oh, her, you can't do this. This won't work. This won't work. And she's like, no, this is the only thing I'm going to do. So I'm going to make it work. It was funny watching this because as much as I dislike her at the later time periods where this show is taking place, I also spent about two years running an eBay business where I sold clothing. <laughs> so I really <laughs> understand I didn't sell secondhand oh. vintage clothing like she did. I sold more like band t-shirts. But I really understand mm -hmm. the world that she's in and mm -hmm. kind of the struggles she has and some of the eBay stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. It's very authentic to it. Did you too struggle to maintain a pet-free and smoke-free home? <laughs> I had a separate room that I kept okay. all my stuff in. So yes. <laughs> My stuff is all, because this was new, it's all polybagged, you know, so it doesn't really... Oh, okay, there you go, yeah. Not as big of a problem as when you're buying Beanie Babies in American Girl doll clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it brings me back to, like, reality shows that I watch. There's basically, in my mind, two types of reality shows. Reality shows about garbage people being garbage people, to use her terms, right? And I don't like uh -huh. those. And then there's reality shows that are more competition-based, or maybe where you have a skill that you're trying to show. And yeah. those I do like, like cooking shows or mm -hmm. anything that involves an actual skill that you have, rather than the horrible person you are those i do like and i felt like this was kind of those two things at the same time yeah which is kind of funny because we're supposedly the generation that speaking as, as a millennial we're supposed to be the generation that was kind of reared on that kind of television and we're just so narcissistic and oppositional and lazy and all of these things on the subject of millennials, I have a serious generation gap experience watching this because I just don't relate to people who think that they could keep a job eating their boss's food, taking personal calls on the floor, etc. And we see that she really did think she could get away with all that. I just can't relate to Speaking that. Speaking as a Gen Xer, I know that's <laughs> the common perception, but for God's sakes, that's what every generation says about every generation before. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nothing new, yeah. millennials. It's okay, guys. We're going to be okay. We're going to figure this shit out. We just need to start voting and stuff. Trust me, the real scary shit will start happening when people who are your age have children that are graduating from high school or are like, <laughs> running for office. When yeah. you realize those idiots you knew in high school are in charge now, that's the scary stuff. It was kind of cringy sometimes because I could see how somebody would watch the show and just brush it off as an obnoxious millennial show about an obnoxious millennial doing obnoxious millennial things kind of is i guess she's kind of a, a caricature ish of who we are supposed to be as a generation we want to make an online business and not have a real job that's a real job i don't know what people yeah, why people think that it that is a real it's, job it's a real job yeah. the parts i do admire about her they all stem from the same place as some of the reasons why i don't like her is she's very stubborn right so yeah when she sets on a course of action for good or bad she's going to do that thing and nothing 
is going to get in her way. Not relationships, not societal expectations, any of that. Which is an advantage for her and a disadvantage. So I like that that trait is complex within her. Mm -hmm. And she does build something that has value and that should I think be respected. So that part of the show I really did like. The whole thing, they set it in San Francisco being from the Bay Area. I love that San Francisco is essentially another character in this show. Yeah, that they that spend a lot too. of time wandering around San Francisco and sucking up that energy that's yeah. there. Is that kind of the San Francisco energy? Yes. So I used to commute to San Francisco and work as a courier in San Francisco running around. So there's a lot of things in this show that I identify with her about. <laughs> eBay businesses, the moving around San Francisco and absorbing the energy of it. It's a great city and they really capture the feel and spirit of San Francisco here. It's not exactly even an idealized version of San Francisco because they show you some of the more unpleasant stuff too, but it, it's a very, I think, true depiction of the city and I yeah. love the way that they do it. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. I mean, Mal, you're from San Francisco, so what did you, you live in San Francisco, so what did you think? It definitely exists in the city. It is a piece of the city. I don't see it so much as a love letter to San Francisco as something that understands more than most shows where everything is in relation to each other, what people talk to themselves about in different areas, what people are looking for, how long does it really take to get over the Golden Gate Bridge, things like that. Definitely the showrunners, I'm pretty sure, were natives. One thing we had talked about a little bit earlier is the music on the show. The music director Jeff Cardoni does a really good job with the music in this. Each episode is only about 22 minutes long. It's jam-packed with music. There's an impressive amount of licensed music. I really think they blew a lot of their budget on that. The music is always fits the scene very well, feels like music they would be listening to. I think they do a fantastic job with the soundtrack. Yeah, I was really pumped at the end of each episode. It really started rolling. I would say the first couple of episodes were a little rough to marathon because I was just so irritated with Sophia. But then she started getting better and the soundtrack would just suck me. I watched the credits because I wanted to listen to the song that's how good it was yes like i could have backed it out and gone forward to the next episode but i wanted to hear the music i sat through the ending credits that's how good the music was yeah i think it's some of the best music on tv i've seen in a long time mm -hmm. it is jam-packed there are maybe 12 episodes i think or 13 episodes of girl boss and there are 40 songs on the soundtrack for it and they're all really good mm -hmm. so that definitely yeah. i think adds to the texture of the show absolutely it just creates a really great atmosphere and speaking of atmosphere this is a period drama. It's an aughts period drama. And I don't think I've ever seen that before. Everything from the TV shows that they're watching, they talk about like One Tree Hill. I didn't watch the show but I still found out about like whatever that ending was. Like I was still aware culturally that that was a thing that was happening. And the fashion. I definitely missed that. Yeah. WB drama. But I got that that is a show that was, that was their cultural touchstone. Yeah. I think even though I'd never seen it I think it was still relatable enough to get what they did. And the way that they set up the ending of that scene paralleling her scene, like the exact same shot of her holding her dress when she can't yes. go across the bridge. Yes. You know, it's her holding the person dead in their arms. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty intense. They do some interesting things with the way that they film this and do some kind of subtle visual cues. There will mm -hmm. be times when she's talking and she'll look in the mirror, especially when you see her trying on clothing. It's interesting the way they do it because she'll be wearing one thing, but the person in the mirror is wearing something else. So it's like you can see what she's imagining 
imagining it's going to become. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize that. That's cool. They do it when she's at the first used clothing store she goes to and she starts uh -huh. trying on clothing in the mirror and you can see what she puts on. See her vision. Her vision of it is different yeah. than what she's actually wearing. And then finally she puts on the motorcycle jacket and it's the same thing. Yeah. Showing you like that's the perfect thing. This doesn't need anything else. It's perfect as it is. Mm -hmm. And there's also times where she'll be talking to herself in the mirror and the mirror responds back to her. Mm -hmm. It's a nice visual to share mind and to let her have conversations with herself without just talking into thin air. I think the best thing they did visually is there's you can tell this is a period drama like you were saying which is weird to say about stuff that happens in like 2003 yeah. or whenever this takes place but there's message boards she goes on to my favorite part of this whole thing oh god i loved it so much it's brilliant the way that they do the oh. message boards I've never seen a visual metaphor for online interaction as engrossing and as recognizable as this. I've never seen an online, a visual portrayal of being online so perfectly done. <laughs> Between Form Thread Roundtable, the I Am Chairs, it's all right there. That's message board culture. There's an admin. They're authoritarian and they've got a chip on their shoulder. It's basically, it's a black room and there's people at this round table and they keep popping in and out as they log on or off the show. <laughs> and they'll read their comments in this totally deadpan, deadpan monotone voice. And then whatever their avatars are or whatever gifts that they link or the links that they put at the end of their message board post pops up. <laughs> There's one lady who has an advertisement for her shop at the end. So at the end of everything she has, she's like, shop whatever her store yes, is. Yes, yes. It's pretty funny. She'd be like, that girl is such a bitch. Shop vintage. <laughs> and then they'll have the person who types in all caps. So they're just sitting in their chair, just screaming, just yelling. <laughs> it's, I think, the best part of the show, really. It's I think that was one of my very favorite things. And then she gets in a fight over I Am with Annie. And it's a huge fight. And I just remember... How Having fights like that with people, just angrily typing and then waiting for the little typing thing to go and them to finally send me their message and then typing something in and being like, oh, do I want to say this? Yeah, I'm going to say it. Enter. Internet drama. I think that scene worked really well because that one, it's a white room and there's two chairs with them sitting there and they're speaking just like they do in anything on the online thing, very monotone, even though what they're saying is very emotional. Yeah. And it just, it punches like the things they're saying. If they had been yelling them, I think would have not had as much impact. No, it was cold without inflection. That had a lot of impact. I had that feeling in my chest from when I was arguing with people like that. Oh no, my best friend is breaking up with me. Ugh. Those scenes are very effective. And including even the guy jumping in trying to... <laughs> the random guy. While she's trying to have this other conversation and she's like, fuck off. <laughs> I think visually the show does really good things, does really good things with the music. I just really am not a big fan of the main character. Mm -hmm. I think that's my biggest problem with the show is she's very unlikable. She's unlikable, but in not in that contrived, why is this awful, like always sunny in Philadelphia or shameless character. Right, because it's not really presented as humorous. I've had friends like that, but not for very long. I couldn't be Annie. I appreciate Annie. I would want to steal Annie as a best friend, but I couldn't handle being friends with someone. 
<laughs> it is a brave choice to portray yourself as unlikable in both your book and your show. Yeah. Because I don't think it's an accident. I think she's very self-aware of what she's showing. Yeah, I appreciate that. Very brave. Real Sophia. Very brave. So why in the world did it take so long for people to come up with eBay flipping? I don't just mean the brainstorm of better backdrop making these more presentable. Just the economics of eBay allowing for this business model with a lack of safeguards. But because it did take so long, the first people to experience that parallel discovery end up looking like geniuses. And isn't that what Silicon Valley is built around? Well, it didn't. <laughs> I mean, she's okay. just really good at it. Yeah. If, you, if you think about it, all of those people on the vintage thing, that's what they're doing. They were doing it, yeah. She's just the best at it. She's not yeah. first to market, but she's best to market. Yes. She doesn't just take the find and repackage it. She goes and she redesigns it or she'll mm-hmm. cut off a sleeve or raise a hemline. She upcycles it. Which a lot of those people in the vintage clothing forums, they do not like that at all. Yeah. Which I think goes back to kind of the strength of the support supporting cast is you get to see one of the people who is kind of like an adversary of hers. They spend some time together and you get to know the person a little bit better that it kind of humanizes her. She doesn't become friends with her at the end, which I appreciate that they still have differences. But Because she's a really awful person too. God, that parting shot. I can understand being mad at somebody, but like, jeez, what she said was so awful. So I don't know. Let's talk spoilers. (laughs) So spoiler alert, Sophia's mom is not around. So at one point, Sophia are having a knockdown drag out argument and Sophia actually starts hitting her at one point and just grabs her and looks in her eyes and pins her arms down and says, I can understand why your mom left when you were little. Holy shit. I just screamed, what? What the fuck? <laughs> when she did that, because that was so awful. Ugh. Yeah, she went straight for the heart of it. Sure. Yeah. It is interesting too, when you see, talking about the family dynamic, like she does kind of meet up with her mom. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually might be a turning point in her stop being a garbage person. Yeah. And she sees her mom, who's very similar to her, mm-hmm. in the exact same situation she's in, that she's in theater instead of clothing, but same essential world. And she's alienating people, isolating herself, completely self-possessed. And then she like picks off and just drives off to the next town. And I think Sophia sees that as her future. She keeps doing these kind of mm-hmm. things, that she gets to see literally the future in your parents and does not want to become her mom. Yeah, and I think she applies the hurt that she suffered at the hands of her mom and understood that that was what she was doing to other people. Yes. And I thought that was kind of balanced against, there was another mother figure you saw in the show. Who overmothers. Yes. There's a point where she's over having dinner with them and they ask her about her mom and she tells her, oh, my mom's not around anymore or something like that. And she gets up and she goes over to hug her and it's actually a really long shot where she's hugging her. And at first it's kind of awkward and she's kind of like almost not exactly melts into the hug, but it changes. It's interesting how long they keep that shot going. Supporting cast is very good in the show. Mm -hmm. Rick. Her boss's name is Rick. The best and last, last and best boss. Her last and best boss. Which, I mean, to her, that is the best boss because he let her do whatever she wanted. (laughs) Yeah. I essentially had her job checking people in and out when I was in college. (laughs) I did too. (laughs) And I work in an art school. I checked people in and out of the student center at my college. So it's a good job. You get a lot of work done. As we're talking more and more that I have more in common with Sophia than most other 
Oh, is that making you uncomfortable? It's making me very uncomfortable. (laughs) She is not my Patronus. She is not. Oh, no, 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 no. She's my warning, my glimpse into the future. Oh, ooh. (laughs) I feel like Sophia is like everybody's warning. I think she's a warning to herself. Hopefully, season two, there will be more character development. I'll be really disappointed if there's not. How could she not? So we're past the spoiler alert line here. She walks into a recording studio to see her boyfriend of like two years getting blown by some chick in the band yeah and then she starts she has flashbacks of it for the next couple of episodes and of course she walks it's the end of the penultimate episode is when she realizes this she finds out about it and doesn't tell him and has all these flashbacks and I appreciate the breakup scene of the quick cuts of them kind of going through those different stages of I love you but I still have to break up with you because you're a garbage person they were both garbage people but seriously fuck shane for that i mean i can understand why he felt alienated from her and didn't feel fulfilled in that relationship but bite the fucking bullet and break up with somebody man yeah break up with them you'll be happier they'll be happier the one thing i did like about that is when she confronts him because they're in a recording studio they're playing part of a song right and as she's going through the trauma she keeps hearing that song over and over and over again those two have become linked in her mind to that i appreciated that as well it's a nice touch of filmmaking she confronts him and (laughs) she mutes him and then just lets him have it that would be so satisfying it's such a rock and roll moment too yeah and i mean he tells her in the beginning that he's also not a good person yeah he's cheated on all his other girlfriends and all that that doesn't excuse what he his behavior does at all yeah i mean she was kind of warned but it still sucks They both suck. There's a lot of terrible people in this show. A lot of terrible people in this show. I do appreciate that they're not all completely redeemed consequences mm-hmm. for being garbage people. I want to see the Annie spinoff. I would probably watch that. She's very interesting. I would watch the shit out of that. She's amazing. I love her. I like her boyfriend as well. Dax. Yeah, Dax. Like, my degree is in accounting, so when he's trying to tell her things, <laughs> I'm like, listen to him. He's trying to help you. But she doesn't want any of that nerd stuff. So I'm going to give it four upcycled but still ugly jumpsuits out of five. I'll give this three and a half starving am I really an artist out of five. (laughs) I will give it three Lady Shopper 99s. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries? Sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Each week, we each bring a show to consider watching. We each vote for a show, and we cannot vote for our own show. The show with the most votes is the next show that we will watch and review. Alright, I have the perfect lighthearted wrong. It recently Netflix has got the rights to revive Inspector Gadget and my pick, Danger Mouse. So I would like to nominate the poignant and timely television adaptation of the dystopian classic by Margaret Atwood, A Handmaid's Tale. It centers around the story of Offred, who is a handmaid. It's hard to explain. She's basically a womb slave (laughs) to a powerful white man and forced to bear children for the aristocracy and it looks like a brutal and compelling show and very very zeitgeisty so I really think we should watch it. I'm going to also nominate a movie based on a book. I'm going to nominate HBO's The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks so this is essentially the story of a woman whose cell 
spells don't die, basically to make it really simple, and that those are stolen from her and end up becoming the foundation for a lot of modern medicine, but she gets no credit for it, no compensation. She and her family are exploited mm-hmm. and used for medical research a lot without their consent or knowledge. And this is the story of trying to reclaim that legacy. Oprah Winfrey is one of the executive producers. She's one of the actresses in it. It looks very good to me. And I think there's a lot to discuss in it. I've heard good things about it and bad things about it. So I want to see it for myself mm-hmm. and talk about it with you guys. So that's my nomination. So let's vote. Well, er, I guess I'm going to have to go with the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. If nothing else, I love science. All right. I want to vote for Danger Mouse. I will vote for The Handmaiden's Tale. It looks very interesting to me. I haven't read the book, so I want to see how it works without having read the book. Does it stand on its own? Is it confusing? I don't know. But it looks really interesting to me. And I like having some of my maybe preconceptions or ideas challenged, whether I end up agreeing with it or not, I still think it's good to expose yourself to different ideas. So I'm down for it. I'm going to quit the podcast if you agree with the show. (laughs) I have no idea what the show even is. So (laughs) I highly doubt it. I mean, I am a liberal from the West Coast, so probably not. (laughs) Well, you'd be surprised. (laughs) But I am a man. So. So, yes. Balance those on the two scales, I guess. We'll find out. And then Alistair can't join us this week. He is on a ship in Canada for work, but he has told us that he wants Handmaiden's Tale. So when we tally all those votes together, it's going to be Handmaiden's Tale next week. Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, you're right. Handmaid's Tale. I keep getting that mixed up with another title that has a very similar name. It's kind of a confusing name, which actually does end up getting explained in the book a little bit, but Handmaid is the title that's the position that the main character has. There's a very similar Korean erotic thriller drama with a very similar name. (laughs) I keep getting mixed up. Don't do that. I would imagine they're not going to be compatible. (laughs) Oh my god. I'm waiting for the review where the person watched the wrong thing (laughs) and like complains about it. I thought this was going to be about sexy Korean ladies. (laughs) This was just about rape and abortion and uh. (laughs) This wasn't sexy at all. (laughs) Worst Skinamax movie I've ever seen. Oh, oh God, you're gonna, oh, oh, I'm gonna remind you you said that, oh, after you watch this show, I'm gonna remind you. (laughs) Okay, so Handmaid's Tale it is, and so that was Girl Boss. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcasts, Four Color Nerds Comic Book Reviews, and Broke Gaming at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep streaming, nerds. <laughs>